me get adjusted here. Well, welcome. This is our second week in this particular room. We were in the room over across the way. Oop, there I am. Hello. Um, and then, as for many of you know, we were at JHOP prior to this um, for just under two years. Actually, what's the date today? The ninth? The ninth? Eighth? Sorry, the ninth. <laughs> um, the 25th is actually our two year anniversary since we launched our Sunday services. And I'm going to actually have Will see if he can bring this thing up because I'm handicapped. I can't do it. It's like the new kind. It's not the old-fashioned kind that you twist. It does something else. Oh, and he doesn't know how to do it either. That makes me feel better. <laughs> I'm just joking. Because Will knows how to do everything. So <laughs> he's my go-to. <laughs> Isn't that true, Will? <laughs> It is true. Actually, last night, my, my son knows it to be true as well, that Will is my go-to. Because last night, my son said to me, he goes, Mommy, I want to make you a shirt that says Super Mommy. And I said, oh, and he goes, I'll just tell Will to, ma- <laughs> to make that. <laughs> That's what he said. And I just chuckled because I'm like, he must hear me say that a lot. <laughs> I'll just ask Will. <laughs> Is that comical or what? Or maybe not. Maybe that's <laughs> sad. Uh, well, anyway, welcome. For anybody that's here for a first time, my name is Bethany Temple. Uh, the gentleman that was re- leading worship is my husband, Daryl Temple. Um, so if you're opposed to women in ministry, you think it's sacrilegious that I'm standing up here right now, I have a covering, I have a husband. And he preaches, and he gave me permission to do this. So (laughs) if that works for any of you. (laughs) It's true. There's people that definitely, their head twitches, and they turn quite a little bit if a woman goes to take a microphone. Um, We can talk about that after service, if that's difficult or painful for you. Um, But if you think about it more like this, that when you're, anybody that's sharing the word, in all honesty, like no matter what kind of a degree they have or what credentials they have or what gender they are, really in essence, more than sharing like head knowledge and information, you're really sharing your heart and your testimony. And it's the testimony of Jesus that's the spirit of prophecy. There's life in the testimony of Jesus, whether it comes through a three-year-old that can testify that they felt the love of God. There's reality and power in that because it's experiential or whether it's a woman or a man or an elderly person. So really, I will say this, that it's not our gender or even our credentials or our education that um, allows us or enables us to stand before people. Really, really what it should come back down to is our experience with Jesus Christ, which should be daily, weekly, and ongoing. And for any of us, no matter what the title or the credentials may be, if we cease to experience the life-giving power of Jesus Christ, we should cease talking, really, regardless of whether we're a man or a woman or who we are. We've actually had a couple of weeks that we've been, our series that we've been doing has actually been on awakening. Um, One of the weeks, my husband actually, he preached a message on being awakened to the love of God. One week, I actually shared about being awakened to the understanding of the indwelling Christ. Um, And this week, actually, we're going to take a more broader look at the topic of awakening. We're really going to look at the word awaken in the Bible and what biblical awakening is, but we're going to even just touch upon historical awakening. And how many of you probably are not from the New England area, but if you are from the New England area, you will be very keenly acquainted with the idea and the concept and the history of the first and second great awakening. 
I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if anybody is not familiar with spiritual history or Christian history at all, the New England region that you're now in, specifically even Massachusetts, as much as it was throughout Connecticut and Rhode Island and New York and other places, Massachusetts, there was several, and two namely, but other other smaller, what were called Great Awakenings. And basically what those time periods were is they were times when the body of Christ was awakened to the spirit of God in a heightened sense. Because if you think about it, like we're all familiar with places like Bethel, that there is in a sense a healing awakening that the, they've been awakened to the healing power of Jesus Christ. And it's not that Jesus has changed it's not that God has changed. It's that there is a group of people or a locale of people that have been awakened to a reality that they previously were not awakened to. And if you think about even as we're going to look through it in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek, but if you think about the word awakened, literally what that means is if you are sleeping in a room, everything that you have need of, whether it be the toilet whether it be a drink of water, it was all there present surrounding you while you were sleeping. It's just that because you were in a sleeping state, you weren't aware or alert to your surroundings and to what was taking place. But when you're awakened and you wake up in the morning, you're now alert and attentive to what is surrounding you and that everything that you have need of that you may not even have been aware of during the night is there present in front of you. And it's the very same thing with spiritual awakening. It's, it's the place where our spirit gets awakened to the spiritual reality that was already there. It's just that we were slumbering to it. And there's actually a French um, sociologist that had come to New England. Actually, it was just after the Second Great Awakening. Uh, that this gentleman came, and he actually, this is what he actually had to say about America, because he was coming to study American society. And what he said, it's actually profound. He said, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her commodious harbors, in her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, and it was not there in her democratic Congress, and in her, in her matchless constitution, and it was not there either. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. Speaking of America, and this was a, a French sociologist that didn't really come looking and seeking a spiritual reality, but came to find out the inner workings of a nation and what made it great and to attribute it. And it was right after the second great awakening. And so that there had been periods of awakening that had taken place throughout New, Eng uh, throughout New England, but also, as many of you know, spread west. There was the Azusa Street revival that took place in California. There's countless other ones. Um, but what we're going to do is actually turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. You want to turn there with me quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. This is, we're going to look at a few accounts where the word awake is actually used in the Bible. For those of you that have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll actually start with verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit 
is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Verse 14, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So when we will highlight verse chapter 14 and move on from there, but where he says, therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. It would be very easy to kind of question and say, well, is he talking to sinners to awaken out of their sleep of sin, meaning their sinful state because they haven't been awakened to Christ? Or also question, is he speaking to saints that they're to awaken out of sleep? And really, haven't saints already awakened out of sleep because they've been awakened to the Spirit of God? But really, most commentators would agree that he's actually addressing both crowds of people But for our topic and what we're going to discuss today, what we're actually going to look at and understand is that word awake in the Greek is actually found in Revelations 3. How many of you guys are familiar in Revelations where Jesus is actually speaking to the seven churches? He's speaking to the seven churches in Revelations, and what he actually says to one of the churches, uh, the church at Sardis, he says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and and the seven stars. I know your works. He's speaking to the church. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. This is actually the same understanding that we actually see Paul saying in Ephesians, awake out of sleep. Arise from the dead. Next, actually in Revelations and verse 2, it goes on to say, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are, that are ready to die. That word, be watchful, is the very, very same word as the word awake in Ephesians. Though, though both of those words are the very, very same word in the Greek, and they have the same emphasis and the same understanding. And actually, Paul is speaking to the church, and so also in Revelations is John speaking to the church to awake. So what does that look like? If we're, we are believers and if we are Christians, what does it look like for us to awake? Well, I'm going to give you an understanding. This word awake literally means to rouse and cause to rise to arouse from sleep, to arouse and to recall the dead to life, to cause to even rise from your deathbed. Actually, if you go on in greater emphasis here, the word sleep, this is so interesting. It's not even talking about sleep as in physical death. The word sleep means those that have yielded to sloth, which is just kind of like a sluggish, lackadaisical nature, those that have yielded to sloth and sin, and those that are indifferent to their salvation. 
So when he says, awake, you who sleep, he's saying those of you that have become almost weary and tired in your walk with the Lord, those of you that have, he uses the word sloth, that have been given to sloth or sin, and the understanding is that even if we're indifferent, this word, when I was reading about it being indifferent, I was thinking how there's so many things that the heart of God, he is passionate about and zealous about, but we are indifferent to. I mean, if you think about the heart of God, that literally he is described as holy. When the angels see him, they cry, holy. That is how he is described. That is his, one of his premier attributes. But yet, honestly, most of us in the body of Christ, we are indifferent to the topic of holiness. We have an indifference. We're not actually sure where we stand. Some, we, some of us stand on different lines of the aisle with the matter of holiness. The issue of even compassion for the lost. If we look in James, it says pure and undefiled religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion is this. To keep yourself pure and undefiled from the wor world and to care for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. He's obviously passionate about that. But if we're indifferent to the things that he's passionate about, that actually speaks that we have not been awakened to the heart of God. There are so many things throughout scripture where we're not awakened to the heart of God. And really what this reminds me of is how many of you guys are familiar in the book of Job? Job actually is crying out before the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, behold, God is great. And we don't know him. You know what happened? Job moved out of indifference. He went from a place of not understanding, not comprehending, not beholding the greatness of God. And all of a sudden, he was troubled. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. Most of us, as the American church, are kind of like, yeah, I guess God is great. And we don't know him, but that doesn't really trouble me. We're indifferent. <laughs> See, if we're indifferent, it, it, our indifference actually causes us to remain in, in the same state that we are right now. But if we come out of indifference, it causes change. It provokes us to change our position. Like even this word where it says awake, or, and further on where in Revelations where he says be watchful, it's the place of being alert and being alive. And the very essence of the word awakening, because every single time that you look at it in the Bible, it has to do with rising out of spiritual death. What awakening literally is, is coming out of spiritual death and into spiritual life and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. See, any place that we're lacking the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our thoughts, in our attitudes, I mean, if I have a funky attitude towards my husband and I, like, am okay with that, like, I'm okay living in that, corresponding with that, giving the attitude, speaking out of attitude, all of, all of those things, that means that I'm indifferent. And I have not been yet awakened to the fact that the Spirit of God is not pleased. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when I've been awakened to the Spirit of God, I no longer have my own rights and entitlements. When I have an attitude towards my husband, and as you guys can see, I'm a little mouthy. That doesn't get restrained to one area in life. You don't get that option in your personality, do you, folks? Doesn't it all bleed? 
It does. <laughs> but the redeeming quality is when you're awakened to the Spirit of God, as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you go, oh, oh, that's not okay. That means I need to repent. That means I cannot continue in that way because I've been awakened to a greater reality. For me personally, it does take me the five minutes to go in and do my hair or take a shower and cool down and then go back and repent. <laughs> I can't say I'm an instant repenter. I'm more of a, give me five. <laughs> I'll work it out. I'll be back. <laughs> but either way, when you're awakened to that reality, you can no longer go, go on living in that state. You're not allowed. It's, it's invaded. And that's where Job was. He declared, behold, God is great. And I do not know him. He was awakened to the greatness of God. That will disrupt your sleep and your slumber, your spiritual state. So we find in Ephesians 5.14, this word, awake you who sleep. That word sleep, literally, those of you that have yielded to sloth or sin, those of you that are indifferent to your salvation. Actually, the, um, one commentator kind of uh, expands upon this word, and he actually says it's of carnal indifference to spiritual things on the part of a believer. A condition of insensitivity to the divine. Awake you who sleep. That's literally saying, awake those of you with insensitivity to the divine. Things, those, and this actually, he goes into greater depth saying, what causes sleep is the insensitivity to the divine because we've been entangled with conformity to the world instead. Metaphorically, it's a slumbering state of our soul, of spiritual conformity to the wor world, out of which believers are warned to awake. How many of you guys are familiar where David actually says, he commands my soul. He says, I command my soul to bless the Lord. You know what that is? That's in the place of prayer, when you get up for your like morning devo and you're just not feeling it. You're feeling that slumbering spirit, kind of like, I'd rather sleep. Come on. Where's the revelation of Job? Behold, God is great, and I do not know him. So therefore, I might be in this empty room by myself, my dorm, or I might be in my living room, and it's freezing cold, middle of winter. I'd rather be under the covers. But when a greater fascination is gripped a hold of us, behold, God is great. He has ripped me from my state of slumber. He has ripped me from indifference to a place where my spirit is awakened to a greater reality. No longer being conformed to this world, but awakened. And even as that commentator says, sensitive to the divine. How sensitive are we to the divine? And you know, this topic of awakening, I mean, take it out of a spiritual sense. We're all in this room, everybody under the sound of my voice, we are all awakened to something. There is something in life. It could be a sports team. It could be wine. It could be coffee. It could be technology. It could be fashion. You are awakened to something. And to the point that if I were out to lunch with you, we were walking through Harvard Square, and if you, whatever it is that's like your niche in life that makes you tick, that you're fascinated with, that you're addicted to, that you're, you read up on, those kind of things, if we were walking through Harvard Square... Whatever it is that you're awakened to, if you heard a conversation, a side conversation of people, you, your ear would be inclined to hear that, and it would pick up on, I mean, they could be talking about, I don't even know, a brew of coffee. 
you know, of whatever. You, you're going to hear that and be like, oh, they're talking about, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm interested in that. I wonder what they're saying. Or I'm educated on that topic. Where for me, if I wasn't awakened to that, I probably would say, oh, I didn't even hear that taking place. My son, in a very practical sense, he's awakened to Legos. He's into Legos. Anything, you, if you in any way present Legos as an option, that changes the whole scenario. So if he walked through a crowd of people <laughs> and heard somebody talking about Legos or, you know, character, I mean, he knows the characters, he knows the detail of that thing, and I am clueless. I have no idea what he's talking about. You know, he'll talk about one character being a part of this set, and I have no concept of what he's talking about because I haven't been awakened to Legos. <laughs> but he is, and he cares deeply about it. But the same is true, something that I may be passionate about, if I'm walking through the square and I hear it, my ear is going to hone in on that topic because it's something I've been awakened to, where you may not be interested or educated on the subject. See, we're all awakened to something. And so in this, in this context of, of what Paul is saying here, it's, it's talking about being awakened to the Spirit of God. So awake you who sleep, when it says arise from the dead, literally ra to raise up, from lying down. Lying down is a passive position. Rise up from being passive and rise into being active and engaged. I mean, that's a new concept for some of us that our relationship with the Lord is not a passive one. He doesn't drift in like a cloud and leave when he wants to. It's relational. It's interactive. We respond to one another. Arise from the dead. The word dead literally means this word dead. It's not talking about the, uh, the natural dead that are going to rise with the rapture or anything. The word, this word dead in the, in the Greek literally is a metaphor for being spiritually dead. Literally means destitute of life that recognizes and devo is devoted to God. And it goes on to say, it's destitute of, life, uh, destitute of life devoted to God because it has been given up to trespasses and sin, inactive in respect to doing right, destitute of the force of power, and has become inactive or an operative. Those of us that have become inactive or an operative. So it's this understanding that this passage of Scripture, yes, it can apply to the sinner, that needs to come out of sin and come into spiritual life, but also speaking of the saint and the place of spiritual life and activity that we are called to. But instead, Paul is talking here about the inactivity and the slumbering spirit that has come upon us. So like I said earlier, this word literally awake is the same word that's used in Revelations 3 um, when he gives the exhortation telling them to wake up and says, be watchful. It's the same word that's used for be awake, stay awake. And that's his exhortation to them there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 is another passage of scripture that actually uses the same language and actually the exact same words. 1 Thessalonians 5, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day... <clears throat> 
should overtake you as a thief. Verse 5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. This word sleep is literally the same word that we just discussed in the previous passage of scripture, Ephesians 5. Let us not sleep. Let us not yield to sloth and sin. Let us not sleep. Let us not be indifferent to our salvation. And then it gives the exhortation, but let us watch. It's the same word for let us be awake. Let us arouse ourselves from a state of inactivity to a place of activity and being alert and being awake. How many of you guys are familiar? It's the same word that's being used for vigilant in 1 Peter. How many of you guys have heard the verse in 1 Peter quoted, um, be sober, be vigilant for your, your adversary, the enemy, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word vigilant is the same word that's used over and over for awake and be watchful. Do you know that that word be watchful is actually used in the New Testament like 141 times? He's obviously exhorting us and calling us to something because he knows that it's a challenge and an instruction that we will need. He knows that we will be prone to being those that are inactive and drawn into slothfulness and a place of inactivity. So he gives 141 times this, this word watchful is used. According to this word to watch, here it is actually meaning for vigilance and expectancy as in con, it's, it's being contrasted with being lackadaisical and indifferent once again. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And then Romans 13, 11, and do this knowing the time that, the, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. So over and over again, we have this exhortation throughout the word of God, to awake out of sleep. And we're going to look at two, maybe three, depending on the time. Yeah, two biblical characters um, that we can actually see the awakening that transpired in their life. We're going to look first and foremost. Let me see who I have time for. Samaritan woman. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of the Samaritan woman? Anybody here? Turn to John 4. John 4. So we have Jesus. This is the scene. He's going through Samaria, which he was not welcomed there, nor did the Jews go through there. So here's the Samaritan woman, and Jesus is going through Samaria. So you find, actually, John 4, verse 5. So he, speaking of Jesus, came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sycran, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being warned, uh, weary, sorry, Jesus being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, 
ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, she hadn't yet been awakened, right? She didn't know, she didn't see. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will, 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 huh? <laughs> Whoever drinks of this water will, oh, he's speaking of the well first. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will be, become like a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one whom you have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Verse 19, the woman, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that, that in Jerusalem, in the place where one ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is for the Jews. But the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such worshipers. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, I who speak to you, he. So she literally just said, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, and then Jesus responds and says, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come, See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him. Before we move on and even talk about what happened subsequently after this, number one, she came to the watering hole midday when everybody else was resting because of the heat of the day, because of really not wanting to interact and be in the face of other people. But then you actually find in contrast, after she encounters Jesus, she literally goes seeking out the men of the city. She's not hiding anymore. She's not in seclusion and trying to uh, hide from the eyes of men. She goes to search them out and to find them. And then she brings the men of the city to Jesus. And do you know what actually happens? There's widespread salvation throughout the city. 
Literally, these men come to Jesus. So this Samaritan woman who in all of her sin, she encounters the man, Christ Jesus. She had an awakening. Her spiritual eyes were open to see Jesus. This awakening, when she began to perceive who it was that stood in front of her, it literally transformed her. She went from being the woman in shame at the well to the woman that goes to draw others to Jesus. Now when these gentlemen come to Jesus, they themselves experience the Messiah and there's a citywide crusade. These days we'd call it a revival meeting. Salvation happens. The extraordinary thing is she was awakened to something that she previous. Do you even realize that she was speaking to him before and she did not realize it was the Messiah? Jesus was like, if you knew who you, who you were speaking to, you would ask me for a drink of living water. She had no idea. Her eyes are opened to see Jesus. This woman's life is transformed. Shame is no longer there. It didn't happen through 10 weeks of counseling. I'm not saying that some of us don't need it. But in a moment, an encounter with Jesus Christ changes her. She goes from being the woman in shame to the woman going to preach and bring others to the Messiah. They encounter the Messiah. And when you move on past this, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then come the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Because of the Samaritan woman encountering the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, she testified, and it says that many believed because of her. I mean, on many, many levels, this, this story and this account is really mind-blowing. You got to remember, this is a city that Jesus actually shouldn't have even be, been coming into. Jews were not welcome there. Jews did not like Samaritans. There was this, like, social divide between them. First, he breaks through the social divide. Then you find him speaking to a, a woman and forget any woman, it's a, an adulterous woman, a woman living in fornication and adultery, a woman that had had multiple hus husbands. It breaks every paradigm of religion, of the way it's supposed to be, the way, oh, and there you go, it's a woman. She testified. God used a woman to bring salvation to a mul multitude of men. On every single level, he comes in and he breaks through the paradigm. He breaks through the ordinary. He breaks through the predictable. He invades it. He turns it upside down and lives are transformed. That, my friends, is the result of an encounter with Jesus Christ. Transformation changes everything. And the beautiful thing about this story is that there is nothing that restricts him or holds him back. There's nothing that he looks at and says, oh, Cambridge, it's full of false ideologies and humanisms, and they think they're smart. Can't go there. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Like, almost like he's looking at the Samaritans, that almost like there's a boundary that keeps him out. He breaks through that barrier. He goes to the most lowly, the most destitute, the most unwanted, the most shamed. He breaks through all of that and he transforms. 
Who else do we see with an awakening happening in their life? How many of you guys know Peter? Peter who denies Jesus. Weakling Peter. Scared Peter. Timid Peter. I mean, in all honesty, when you look at the story of Jesus, when Peter denies him, you're kind of like, loser, Peter. That's not the man to deny, (laughs) regardless of what it looks like outwardly. So you have Peter. But what happens? Peter's a part of the day of Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. Then you find Peter going out to the streets of Jerusalem where he just denied Jesus, where the Messiah was just crucified. Not a welcomed message, Peter. But there you find Peter who went from timid to bold. There you find Peter who went from trying to preserve his life to having no fear of losing his life. You find Peter preaching and 3,000 souls are saved. So any single one of us, if we kind of think, well, I don't know, the Lord could never use me because I've denied him on multiple occasions and my life just blasphemes him. There is nothing that actually limits us from being people that are unusable. If we have an encounter with the living God, if our spirits are awakened to the life of Jesus Christ, there is no boundary on you. There is no limitation on you. You are not classified and identified by your sin of yesterday. You are not limited and you are not bound by what you define yourself as in all of your limitations and fears and timidity, all of those things. None of those things define you. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ and when you're awakened to his spirit, there is now no limitations upon your life. All things are possible. You can go from being a Peter that was timid one day denying Jesus to a Peter that is preaching and 3,000 souls are saved and you are used to birth the New Testament church. That's what awakening looks like. What about Saul to Paul? You have Saul who is persecuting and killing Christians. He is zealous for the cause of killing Christians. And what happens? We all know the story. He's going down the street. He gets knocked off his donkey blind, can't see, has no idea what struck him. He's like, he's uh, dumb for three days. And this is the conversion and the transformation of Paul who becomes the New Testament apostle, writing three quarters of the New Testament. That's what being awakened. His eyes, his spiritual eyes were opened to Jesus Christ. To behold and to perceive him, he was transformed and he was changed, never to be the same. You know, spiritual awakening, that place of actually commanding our soul to awaken, no different than actually the Psalmist David. How many of you guys are familiar in Psalms 13? The psalmist David, actually, he prays this prayer. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That's a wise prayer to pray. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. See, how many of us wake up in the morning, we get our physical body all ready, we get primped and primed and proper for all of our appearances. We may even tap into the news to get updated on the world events that we need. There's so many things that we do to awaken our senses. I have a cup of coffee 
That's how I awaken my senses. I don't function well before it. But how many of us wake up in the morning time before the Lord and saying, wake up my spirit to behold you, to encounter that I wouldn't walk through this day with a dull spirit, being dead and even dumb to hear the voice of God, but that I would be awakened to your presence. Sensitive. That word awake, remember we looked at? Sensitive to the divine. You know, I'm teaching my son at an early age. I, if anybody was here before service, he prayed. He prays like the most sincere prayers. <laughs> what did he pray before we started service? He prayed, God, I pray that the enemy would find no access. I'm like, what? <laughs> but you know what? I, the very first prayer I taught him to pray, we'd get up in the morning. Because, come on, with like a one, two-year-old, you're not going to do an hour-long prayer. I mean, he's going to end up despising Jesus and think he's boring. So the, our morning prayer that I taught my son, and this was the extent of it, nothing super spiritual, I'd say, okay, Abram, put your arms, and just so, say, Jesus, wake me up. And he would do it, put his arms up. Jesus, wake me up. And obviously, not just physically wake me up, I'm praying over my son that his spirit is awakened to the spirit of God. That there is a spiritual awakening where he is alive in Jesus Christ. We're going to go ahead and just close out. I'm going to read to you guys out of um, 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. This understanding that what we desperately need, it was said of George Whitfield. It said that George Whitfield was a revivalist in New England, but he was out of England. It said of George Whitfield that his voice was like a trumpet blast that awakened England. That's an awakening. Literally that God used his voice to startle and stir and awaken England. And I read this passage of scripture to you because if you're wondering why are we focusing on awakening all these weeks of being awakened to the love of God, being awakened to uh, the indwelling Christ, and even today we're talking about literally awakened out of sleep and slumber. It's because if there's anything that Cambridge that New England, that America needs. You, me, the church of Jesus Christ does not need more heady information and knowledge. We don't need a dissertation of going through the word of God. What we need is we need spirits that are awakened to Jesus Christ. What we need is our spirit man to come alive. See, this is the difference is just like we talked about with the Samaritan woman that we talked about with Peter and even Saul coming from Saul to Paul, is that place is it was not necessarily information that they were processing on an intellectual level to acquire more knowledge. It was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit encounter where they were never the same. And see, as the church of Jesus Christ, we desperately need to move from the place of doing things even like in 1 Corinthians, he said that he was charged to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, let the cross of, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He's talking about the purity and the simplicity of the cross of Jesus Christ and the transforming influence that it has upon our lives. 
that if at any point we feel as though our spirit is not awakened to Jesus Christ, that we are not experiencing and encountering his transforming power, I want to encourage us as a church, all we have to do is even pray the Psalm 13 like David prayed. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. I'm not looking just to wade through this life in a state of spiritual slumber, awakened to all the temporal and carnal things, yet completely blind and senseless to the divine and the eternal. Like Job said, behold, God is great. And I do not know him. That our lives would be awakened to a sense of awe and wonder at the majesty of Jesus Christ. You want to know the revivals, the first and second great awakening? The reason that they were extended meetings and people just flooded the altars and all day and all night they would be found there in the place of worship and a place of prayer, not because of obligation. Their spirit had been awakened to the awe and the wonder of Jesus Christ. They were mesmerized and captivated by him. And that's ultimately what we need, is that when we, if, you're, if we're even just doing the disciplines of reading the word, God bless us. That, that in and of itself, I, I think, gives joy to the heart of God. But when we come to a place where it's a discipline, but we're not finding life in that place. That's what we've actually find, found through all of these words that we looked at. When he says, awake from the dead, it's that place of encountering spiritual life. And I want to just charge us as a community. What if every single day, instead of praying heady prayers, all the ins and the outs, what if we reduced ourselves to the simple prayer of, wake me up, Jesus. Wake me up, Jesus. If that was what we were reduced for, for the next 21 days, just asking Jesus to wake us up, that we would move out of the place like we even saw that that word literally means to come out of indifference to our salvation. To the place of being impassioned and emboldened with desire and vision. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to close out in prayer. God, we ask you that as we have been looking into your word regarding the topic of awakening these last few weeks, God, we just say that as people, God, we don't merely want to... Um, articulate the word of God or even analyze the word of God in an intellectual sense. But God, we say we, we desperately as a people and as a nation, God, that we need a spiritual awakening. God, that we need the kind of wonder and awe that struck the heart of Job. Behold, God is great and we do not know him. Lord, that that kind of awe and wonder would draw us into relationship and fellowship and even worship of you. God, we ask, Lord, that even as the psalmist David prayed, enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. God, we say that we don't want to be those that live in spiritual slumber, that everything that we have need of, your spirit, your truth, righteousness, all that your spirit has been made available to us. Lord, for, for it to even be within our reach, right before us, accessible, but yet we're spiritually unaware and unawakened to who you are and to what you've made available. God, we ask, Lord, that you would awaken us to the fullness 
that you've made available through your son. God, we say, keep us as a people, Lord, from the wisdom of words that make the cross of Jesus Christ of no effect. God, we say, let the cross of Jesus Christ show forth its transforming power in every dimension of our lives. song of worship. If there's anybody here that would like the prayer of agreement or for someone to pray with you, you're more than welcome to come forward and I or one of our team will pray with you. But other than that, we're just going to close out with a song of worship and be dismissed. Bless you.